Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2X their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hello, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. It's the very first episode of 2015, and I'm your host, your loyal host, Kunle Campbell. And this is the podcast where I, Kunle, interview e-commerce entrepreneurs and online marketing experts who help uncover new e-commerce marketing tactics and strategies to help you, my fellow 2Xers, double specific e-commerce metrics in your online stores. So if you're looking to double metrics such as conversions, average order value, repeat customers, traffic, and ultimately sales into your online stores, you are in the right place. Now, on today's show, I am very excited to have my very first B2B e-commerce marketing expert on the show. His name is Ronald Duncan. He's the founder of a B2B or business-to-business e-commerce and e-procurement platform called Cloud Buy. He'll be providing insights into how to grow your B2B e-commerce business, as well as how Cloud Buy, his platform, helps business-to-business e-commerce outfits rapidly grow and successfully sell both online and in marketplaces. Also, if you're looking to get into B2B e-commerce, this show would be really insightful for you. Anyway, let's go back to Ronald. Ronald is a former downhill ski racer who's competed in two Winter Olympics. He's also a chartered physicist who's graduated from the University of Cambridge and after that, spent about 10 years running his own computer software consultancy before launching CloudBuy. CloudBuy claims to be the world's largest business-to-business e-commerce marketplace solution, bringing together organizations and buyers. They work with universities and colleges here in the UK, councils. Councils are like local councils, local authorities of the government, basically, at the local level, and um, the National Health Service, so the NHS. CloudBuy provides technologies to manufacturers and suppliers to build e-commerce portals for selling their products to customers like these universities, colleges, National Health Service, or even councils. And then it connects them on a platform to 10,000 or so suppliers in their database and it creates marketplaces and it creates custom marketplaces. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ronald to the show. Ronald, welcome. Hi there. Hi. Could you please take a minute to tell us about yourself, please? (laughs) So you've got ski racer, software designer, World Cups, everything else. So... Quick, quick bio. I, back in the sort of 80s, I, I used to ski race. So I was, best result was 30th in the World Cup. And I spent about 10 years uh, competing in that. And, and uh, I, I went to sort of Cambridge University where I studied physics. So it was really unusual in that I, I retired when I was 19 
So I went through that pain of retirement, went to university, came back, and during the summers, I, I was a sort of software industry engineer, defense contractor. So we did all sorts of things like um, spotting ships from space. And I wrote a, a pay TV system that went into sort of hotels back then. And although I had 14 weeks a year to do that, uh, I basically decided that I had to spend those 14 weeks. So I spent, went to 52 weeks a year of ski racing and, and really focused on that and got to sort of best result in, of 13th in the World Cup. And then um, I had to retire a second time when... Um, I was 30 because by that time the doctor told me I got the back of an eight year old lady. <laughs> wow. Cause, <laughs> cause, you know, jumping, I mean, we, we jump like 60 meters. And if you land of a, a slightly flat landing, yeah, you, you know, the skis fall to bits. Uh, never mind what it does to your, to body. your bones. Huh? Yeah. 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 So it's just, it's just crazy. But I mean, it's just the most amazing thrill in the world racing world cup. Dan. So, Absolutely. I had a, a colleague who does um, skiing, um, or ski racing, actually, and um, he's he, he has some experience, really. He is, he's 24, and um, he's had to stop because of what's done to his back, but, but not at the Olympic level, anyway. Right. Yeah. So so did that, um, retired from that, went back into software, uh, and started a sort of bespoke software company back in... 93 when I retired. Well, I started in 91. And then by 99, we we got a bunch of sort of blue chip customers that went from people like Intercontinental Hotels and Resorts, Accenture, our atomic weapons establishment, to hundreds of suppliers to the supermarkets because we built a, a sort of trading system for them to trade with the supermarkets and people like Paypoint. So lots of sort of major customers and um I kicked off what was cloud by ninety nine to try and solve the complexity of sort of B two B commerce because it's a uh, it's an amazing a complex area. Uh, and what, what year was, was, did you set up cloud by ninety nine? So we, we were called at Software PLC and we spun off at UK PLC in ninety nine, which turned into cloud by. Okay, interesting. Okay, and what problem did you see in, in, in procurement and you know as a whole in the nineties and late nineties, leading you to to want to you know develop a platform to solve the problem? Well, what we saw was with the supermarkets, each supplier to supermarket only sells a small number of things. So you know, you think of someone like the baked bean supplier. They you know they supply baked beans. They may you know be like Heinz and maybe have a range of you know, twenty or thirty products they're selling in, but it's it's tens or twenties products and there's still quite a few sort of orders going, going wrong there. And we, we saw in sort of 99 that, you know, e-commerce was going to take off. And I actually did a walk around local businesses and I visited 300 businesses. And what I found was that most businesses don't sell to end customers. I just thought I bought a directory of, you know, all sort of 2 million businesses in the UK, all their fax numbers, the few hundred email addresses and thought, right, I'm just going to create an electronic Yelp pages. Let's go for this. And then I visited the businesses and they all went, well, uh, we actually sell different prices to different customers. Oh, we sell different products to different customers. Oh, we do this, we do that. And the B2B stuff is just a lot more complex than a straightforward B2C site where you got one product, you just got to market it out to the customers and 
Pretty yeah. straightforward. You Find do your ads, so you drive yeah. the traffic, get it, get yeah. them into the site, help hope they convert, and you know you start to work yeah. on yeah. conversion and you know get them to buy a product. Yeah. So so we started doing all that stuff back in '99, and what we found when we went around everybody was there was a lot more functionality that was required for B two B, and so we started building that. But it's, I mean, it's been a, a very much a sort of bleeding edge thing because what what they had was the the buyers weren't really on board. Uh, and now we're getting a lot more buyers on board and the, the whole thing's sort of moving forward and starting to take off, but it's still, you know, sort of moving downwards. Okay. So which, which takes us to my next question. How do we bridge the connection between e-procurement in one end, which is organizations actually, departments and organizations actually buying products for, for the verse, for the organization or for businesses or companies and e-commerce, you know, actually people selling. How do you bridge? How does cloud buy or how do we sort of fit? How does e-commerce fit into e-procurement? Yeah. Well, E-commerce is critical for e-procurement, and the bit our biggest frustration has been that all the other e-procurement players are basically kind of legacy systems that have come from a procurement background rather than an e-commerce background. So the the industry standard is that they're quite happy to have thirty percent of invoices mismatch in private sector and sixty percent mismatch in in government, and sixty percent of invoices mismatching is just a disaster. Uh, whereas we, we get 100% of invoices correct because we've come at it from that e-commerce perspective where we all learned pretty early on in e-commerce, you've got to have the right price in the, on the site because if it's underpriced, the judge is going to say, well, you entered into a contract and you're going to have to honour it. And so, you know, you put the TV on at £3, well, it's a £3 TV, they paid. <laughs> Did you hear what happened to Amazon um, just before Christmas? And there was a glitch with a third-party software and basically products on Amazon for a period of time uh, were selling for one pence a penny and people bought it, it almost bankrupt um, some of the sellers up on, on Amazon. Yeah. So yeah. for back of that. Right. Yeah, so that is very much the exception in the sort of e-commerce world. Um, and it's very bad. You know, you try and correct that sort of thing straight away. Whereas in the B2B space, it's actually pretty normal. And that it's, we've been educating the B2B spaces to, you know, well, actually that's unacceptable and all your people go home and it's easy for them to order on online and they come into work and they have these shocking, ugly, difficult to use systems to so, buy so, stuff at the wrong price. So I reckon there's a lot of human intervention in the B2B e-commerce or procurement um, setup where, you know, if something doesn't look really correct, someone, a representative of a company would, you know, be in touch with the seller and then they try and, you know, work it out after a number of emails or phone calls to make it happen and to reconcile the invoices. But in, in e-commerce, you know, there's, there's hardly any of that. It, the, the, I guess cloud buy aims to reduce the fiction that yeah. human so, to human so, fiction. So, so what we've done in the B2B space is we've eliminated all that mess. So uh, it's one of the reasons that Visa have teamed up with us because they provide electronic payment methods and the problem of that mess in the B2B space was that they, they've they got something like 80% of the travel expenses are now on card, but less than 1% of the actual buying for the organization is going through or on sort of Visa's um, payment space. And so they realized that all these legacy systems were just killing it because until you could get accurate invoices that could be automatically paid in there, you couldn't get the full volume going through. And that, that's what we've done with something like our 
UK university sector. We've put all the, the contracts online and now you can just buy them with a purchasing card. And that, and suddenly you're bringing that ease of use B2C experience online, but providing all the controls that go into procurement. Because the difference between B2C and B2B is that you go to a large organization, they will have a procurement department. The procurement department will have negotiated a price with you. Your sales guys will have gone off and haggled with them. If it's private sector, if it's public sector, they've gone in and put a bid in and they'll have looked at it and gone, right, you know, this is the basket of items and this is the volumes and this is the price and this is what I think is going to happen. And, and so you've got all that pricing has been put in and needs, and you need a system that makes it easy for the buyer to go in, buy at the right price and do it. We automate so, all that. So, so I reckon the, the sales your salesperson actually negotiates the price and then that, well, the TED price and all the negotiation is sort of imputed into cloud by or your system. And then that kind of is set in stone for, for further purchase, purchases by the customer, you know, going down the line. Yeah. If that makes sense. And, and the thing is that it got lots of different bit, bits of complica- complexity. So we'll quite often integrate with the supplier's ERP system. So we're getting the current prices from there. We've then got feeds off to buyers so they know when the prices are changing and they can approve it or sort things out. There's a whole, a whole lot of stuff there that where we automate and smooth that stuff out. And the other thing is that you've got lots of different things. So you've got stuff like stationery, where it's pretty straightforward. You know what the item is, you know your volumes, prices, and we, we integrate with the stationery suppliers. You then move off into something like services, where you want to get a room painted. Well, you don't know what the cost of painting the room is going to be until someone gives you a quote. So we've got lots of stuff that automates all that sort of service side of things. And then you go into something like, say, in the medical side of things, orthotics, which are custom footbeds for shoes and that sort of thing. And each one of those is different. So we've got form generators where people go in, build the forms, so they can collect all the information required for building a footbed. Or temporary staff, where again, you know, you need to know the skills, all that sort of stuff. So we've got something like over 15,000 little apps that suppliers have built on our platform to collect the correct information so they can just, you know, provide the right product. Okay, you mentioned ERPs. Um, what major ERP platforms do you integrate with? We integrate with all of them. So the ones that everybody will have heard of are... SAP, Oracle, Microsoft's got three of them, Agresso, Cedar, and then you go off into, we've integrated with things like Finest by Software AG, where there's only one instance of it in local government in the UK. We've integrated with a couple of government organisations that have built their own finance system. So it's, you know, it's something where we, we've got that skill set. So most of the ERPs we've already integrated with, and even one that we've never seen before, it, we can usually integrate with it in less than a month. Okay, pretty heavyweight um, ERP systems there. So I guess you're the plethora of, of buyers would be, would be yeah, there. We, 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 came from a, we came from a background of software development. So you look mm. at something like PayPoint, PayPoint integrates with 40 utility billing systems. I mean, those are an absolute nightmare. I mean, and so, so we're, we're used to ERPs are really easy in comparison with those. Uh, so we also did all the tail systems back then. So we've been through lots of different integrations, whether it's, you know, the London Theatre box office systems or the airline passenger name record system or 
you know. Okay. A few questions, sorry, is in regards to how, I'm quite sure a lot of um, the listeners now will be wondering, how does cloud buy compare to Amazon supply? Amazon just released a business-to-business procurement platform um, called Amazon Supply, uh, which I think is about two years ago. And it it costs a lot of stare in in the industry. I'm not quite sure what progress they have made, but how does does it differ to Cloud Buy? Amazon Supply is, on one level, it would be one supplier on the Cloud Buy marketplace. So we can connect into it for a buyer. The other way of looking at it is it's a massive threat to anybody in the distribution business. And so it's not got a lot of traction yet because they, they actually bought the company about five years ago and, re, and rebranded it to Amazon Supply. And it's it, at the, as far as I'm aware, it's just US at the moment. But it's like one single supplier. It's like, say, RS Component. And what you usually find in that space, some of that RS Component's got something like 600,000 items they sell. And that's focused on the electrical component space. Amazon Supply are trying to compete with that focus thing with a broad platform. So RS focused on electrical components, Bucknell Hickman focused on, you know, tools. And so each one of those vertical sectors usually has at least two big distributors in it who are clearly worried by Amazon supply. And we've seen a market more in the the mid-level ones because the the big ones have already spent millions in their platform uh, and some, some of them are looking, looking at changing, but that's, we see Amazon supplies as actually a big attraction to us because we, we've seen a number of them looking at creating their own marketplaces and we can provide those sort of companies with a marketplace in their box for them to go off and create their own version that's got them and their competitors on. As an alternative to, to Amazon supply or complementary exactly. to Amazon supply? Well, for the distributors, they want an alternative to Amazon supply and we can provide them. So you provide them infrastructure for them to yeah. set themselves up and, you know... So, um, so, 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 I mean, we just did a deal with the Confederation of Indian Industry to provide them with a marketplace for their members. So they've got 7,000... In the, they're in the UK equivalent, the CBI. So they're all the big players in India. And they've actually done two deals. They've done one deal with us to provide a marketplace for their members and to build e-commerce sites for their members. So we're building e-commerce sites for all these big Indian industries. And then they've also got another deal with Alibaba. But that's just to put content into it. So they're putting the content into us. And then we're, and then Alibaba's one of our, their sort of sell feeds. And so, Amazon Supply, the other side is that Amazon Supply works off suppliers. So in the same way as we can put content in Alibaba, we can put on content syndicated out and syndicate okay. it out. So so our in some ways we're more like Magento Go plus Amazon. So we can put the stuff in and we can put it into an Amazon or an Alibaba, or we can put it into the industry marketplace like CII's market. So I, I guess when you refer to yourself being like a Magento girl, you're, you're pretty much referring to just the cloud-based That's functionality. That's cloud okay. Yeah, it's the cloud sell side of things. Because I was going to ask you in the next question, is so how you basically compare to, you know, e-commerce content management systems like, you know, Magento, Demandware and Hybris, you know, which are more... Yeah higher-end um, platforms, um, Magento Enterprise, I see, but yes, how... Yeah, yeah. so we compare really well with them. I mean, the main difference between us and, say, I would see Magento Demandware Hybris as much more e-commerce stroke 
catalog management system. So, so they're managing the, the e-commerce catalogs and the sales side of it, and they're not so strong on the content management side of things. So what we see in B2B actually requires really good content management because you're trying to sell complex products. It's not as simple as, you know, okay, I can see what an apple is. I know what an apple is. I'm going to buy an apple. Yeah, you know, there's a limited amount of marketing spiel you can give me about my apple because I know what I want to buy. And most B2C items, the mass market B2C, we know what we're buying. In B2B, the things are more complex. And so we've got a, a customer that sells antibodies. They've got 3 billion different antibodies. And they have got thousands of pages of content that explains all the complexities, what they do and everything else. And then, you know, tens of thousands of pages of product stuff. And so they need a good content management system. And what we've got is a content management system. It's It was benchmarked against Drupal a few years ago and we covered all the Drupal functionality and we covered, and Drupal at that time had about... 60% of the functionality that the customer wanted. They wanted another 40% on top of where Drupal is. And, and we were able to give them that other 40%. We, we had to develop a chunk of stuff for them because, you know, out of the box, we were up at about 60% as well. But we've now got people like Invest Northern Ireland gave us a 10-year content management site, and that's just to do website content management. And what you've got in that content management is stuff like, you know, Okay, so this person's come in. Which ad should we show them? It's it's all that that stuff that you've got in a sort of new newspaper public publishing system. As okay, they've come in. I want to promote these articles. I want to promote this stuff to them. Are oh, they clicked on that? I want to promote this. I want to do this. I've got to make it easy to navigate. I've got to do this. You know, I've got my Twitter feeds. I've got all these other widgets. And that that's where what you find with something like Magento is basically people use it as a product thing. And then they try and use other content management systems to do the sort of web content management bit. And I call that a sort of Frankenstein monster because you can usually see the gaps between it. I mean, the worst cases are something like a local government site where you hit it and you see that half the departments have got different content management systems. None of it's joined up and you get, you know, you see all the, the scars. You usually find in the commercial site, I mean, the one we took over for, say, the antibody supplier, they had a nice, you know, CMS, PHP, MySQL, CMS. Then they had a, a .NET e-commerce system. And you could see the joins between the two. And it made it very difficult when you, what you want is that seamless thing where you've updated the product and that product information needs to flow into some of the content stuff and vice versa. So it's, it's all seamless. And you can do... All that classic upselling stuff of, right, so you looked at that, you're probably interested in this. You went off and saw one of those, what about this? Do you want a guide on how to use this product? All that information that is, it's, to do B2B well does require that extra bit of work. To integrate content with it and yeah. use widgets and user behavior yeah. to generate relevant content. Okay. Exactly. And, and you've got all that stuff and then you've got 
how you, the other bit is, is the sort of form generation capability of how you put in bits to collect extra bits of information because we usually find in the B2B space that there's more information that needs to be collected in order to make a sale. Okay. Could you give us an idea of um, how many organisations have signed up to, on the buy side, procurement, the procurement parts of the business, signed up to Cloud Buy to date now? We've got two bits in the buy side. We've got ones that buy off us unofficially, and there's about 400,000 organisations that buy off us on an unofficial basis. And then we've got official buyers, we're around about 1,000. Yeah. And and the thing with that is they range from size to spending billions to spending, you know, tens of millions. So they sign a contract with yourselves. They have an, they deep, they, they have some integration with the ERP systems and. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so to give you an idea of how much we've analyzed in the buy side, we've now analyzed $750 billion worth of spend. Uh, and last year we analyzed $250 billion. $250 billion came through your systems last year. That's what we analyzed, analyzed for, our, okay. for our buyers. Uh, and so, well, so we're in that process okay. of taking the buyer from this is the, their current spend and moving it onto cloud buy. So there's quite a big uh, sort of ramp up going on as we, as we analyze everything they buy, sort out, prioritizing and bring them onto the system. The bit we see is, as you know, the most complex bit we're doing at the moment is social care. Because if you think about social care, that's a big area. We spend a lot of money in social care in this country and in the developed world. And it's also the most challenging bit because you've basically got vulnerable people who require care and they may be either mentally, physically handicapped or frail and elderly. And you have to make buying something complex, which such as, you know, a home care service where somebody gets you up in the morning, easy enough for them them to do. And so that we've been successful doing that and got a deal to do that for the NHS where they're looking to have sort of 5 million people buying care. Internally, so, so their staff actually use the system? To no, no, no. It's their staff negotiate the contracts and then the individual person buys it. So we've got, you know, eight-year-olds going off and buying their own care. And, and how do they do it? Do they use the debits or credit cards? Or, um, yeah. Okay. So there's a mixture of sort of self-funders who come on and choose their own care package and pay for it themselves. And then you've got council-funded people who basically come on and get shown, this is how much money the council's contributing to you, and you've got the option of topping it up or, or not. And then it does the budget management. So it says, you know, you've got £150 a week to buy your care with. This is how much it's going to do to place the order. Yep, that's within your budget and, and automates all that. And it, you know, if you're self-funded, it's payment by debit or credit card. And if you're council-funded, the council picks up the So bill. their accounts are pre-funded and then yeah. they, they use their credits to, to actually buy items, you know, on, on their portals. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Like an e-government portal, so to speak, you know, in, in that, in that well, respect. It, it, it's more like a sort of buying club where the, the council's gone off and negotiated prices for you and then you come off and buy. I mean, one of the, ch- one of the challenges is that the council quite often buys at less than half the price of a private individual. It's understandable. You know, the council control, typical council spends 200 million on care. And so, you know, as a, as a supplier, you go, okay, they'll pay me 2 million. You pay me 10K. 
I'm going to give a better price to them, okay? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so you've managed to onboard a 1,000 users or suppliers so far. Actually, no, sorry, buyers. Okay, what about suppliers? How many suppliers are on, on the cloud buy system as we speak? At the moment in the UK, there's about 10,000. The big challenge we've got at the moment is we're going through a bit of massive growth because we've, we've extended out from the UK into the rest of the world. So we've mm. got 55,000 suppliers to sign up next year. From what countries? You, you did mention India. Yeah, yeah. So we've got Hong Kong, Singapore, India, Middle East, and Australian suppliers. But the big volume is actually Hong Kong, Singapore, uh, India, and the Middle East, because we found in all those economies is that there's very little B2B commerce. So pretty well all the suppliers are, are needing Service. Yeah. Mm. So there's a big, big chance to sign them all up. So we're actually doing a program where we're working with local web designers. So we basically do a partnership with the web designer. We refer the customer to the web designer. They do the design part. We've got two things we can do for a web designer. One is they just need to agree what the site's going to look like with a customer. And then we can build it. It's about two days to build the site if the designer's gone off and created the design. Then you've got the chance of getting all the content into it. And that, of course, depends on what the format is. You know, if it's 200,000 items in a horrible catalog format that's held with the printer, it's going to take a little bit longer. If it's, oh, well, we've already got it all in an electronic catalog, great. Usually sort of well-structured content, we can do a migration in a couple of weeks we took every item the NHS bought and contact contract, and that took us three weeks to bring in. And took the, the NHS, well, okay. Yeah, and that was initially half a million items, so across 700 suppliers. So it's quite... <laughs> if the data's structured, we can do it very quickly. If it's a manual mess, then obviously it takes longer. It will take longer, for sure. Okay, I'm going to move on to the... Uh, I'd say the core or the, what everybody's been waiting for, really, what, what all the listeners have been waiting for, which is um, what the title actually alludes to. I'm just going to ask you the question. If, you know, um, a B2B e-commerce e-tailer was listening or a B2B business and, and procurement was listening and um, they're a six or seven figure business looking to double in the coming year in 2015, what tips would you give them to to actually grow their business from now in January um, with a view to, to actually growing and doubling their business over the rest of the year? We've got quite a few examples where we've managed to get them 10 times increase in sales. So I'll give you sort of five key areas. Five tips. Okay. Yeah, five key tips. One, go global. The UK is a very small island and whilst it might be a reasonable sized economy, it's go global. We have people selling into every country in the world and there's a lot of other places. So if you take your drop-down list of countries, it doesn't include places like South Ossetia and, you know, Crimea and all these other places. And there's about 50 of those and they buy stuff as well. Yeah, so go global. So when you say go global, do we just um, hop over the channel and go to France or the EU? Or would you suggest we go further afield like yourselves? You guys have been to Australia, Southeast Asia, 
for a typical B2B, where is that opportunity? Where are the growing economies? The first bit is just put on your content onto the system. Um, your we, system we can help. or... Yeah, we'll happily build. We do is we actually, you know, we've got a choice of someone can come on and build an e-commerce site using our cloud help side of things. And we find that those people usually sell 10 times more than the ones that have got... CloudTel, uh, Let, let's, let's take a step. This is the first time you're mentioning CloudTel. Um, yeah, yeah. How could you shed more light on, on CloudTel, please? Well, CloudTel is basically the sell side of the cloud buy business. So you've got cloud buy where we try and represent the buyers, connect them up with the sellers, and then CloudTel where we try to help our customers sell stuff. And, that, and frankly, that, that's Through marketplaces, through one marketplace or through oh, no, numerous it, marketplaces? It, it's a mixture of, we try and support them through every way they want to sell. So if they've got a mixture of B2C, B2B, we'll cover both. So we'll provide them a B2C site, we'll provide them with a B2B site, we'll integrate that site with all the different buying ERP systems that the customers trade with, any marketplaces that are appropriate for them. So if they want to put stuff into Amazon, they want to put stuff into eBay, they want to put stuff into Alibaba, they want to put stuff into Mercato Libre, you know. So you have ready-made feeds or infrastructure to help them pipe through their data and, and products to these marketplaces. Now, do you have any standalone marketplaces that compares to, say, Alibaba? Or yeah, so, so we've got a mixture of things like, you know, we're building the marketplace for the Federation of Indian Industry. We're, we've got a major financial institution that's going to be launching a marketplace in Hong Kong. We've got, you know, similar things happening in Singapore and the Middle East. Okay, so listeners, I'm sorry to cut you short, Ronald. If you're looking to go into India or Hong Kong or Singapore, watch the space from CloudBuy because um, they might be building, well, they are currently building platforms to, for you to sell onto these markets, these, you know, Southeastern, Southeast Nation markets or South, uh, South Asian markets. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, actually, my appeal is that we want more suppliers selling in those areas. So if you, if you want, you know, even if you don't want to sell those into those areas just now, we're very happy to try and syndicate you into those areas to see if there's any business for you. Because the other thing I'd say about global is there's two parts to going global. One is the structure bit that we've taken and said, right, we're going to go into Singapore. We're going to go into here. We're going to go there. We're going to put bits in place and support that. The other bit is attracting people so people from all over the world can come to you. And and so we've had people from the US, Canada, Africa, etc., coming into our website, liking what they see and signing up. And so going global is make yourself available to the world. Okay. And not just on cloud buy, obviously, but looking at, you know, portals like Alibaba and the like. There's Ratuken, I think, um, who that, started. That, that's so, the Japanese one. The Japanese uh, one. Uh, and and uh, you guys uh, provide integration to your, you know, to feeds to, to these channels if you're on, you know, cloud buy or cloud sell. Yeah. That's an option as being part of being on cloud buy, cloud sell is we'll then push you out into these different places okay so is there, is there a cost what, what what typical cost of you know setting say your catalog up and on it's it's or? it's really variable you know and depends on the, the sort of size of the company so we've got a um, our pricing is for a sort of professional site which is the entry levels five thousand dollars a year so that's roughly equivalent of functionality to magento enterprise then we've got our enterprise sites, $20,000 a year. 
it's got a, a chunk more functionality in there. And then we've got a, a sort of global of 1,000, which is aimed at the Fortune 1,000s of this world. And that's very much price and application. It, it competes more with something like IBM WebSphere. That, that allows you to have however many enterprise sites you like. So, you know, if you've got 20 divisions and they've got tens of companies in each, you, they all have their own enterprise sites. And this is all cloud-based? Yeah, all cloud-based. And that, you know, those sort of organizations will usually have half a dozen ERPs at the back end. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to one of the guys at GE. GE's got a stand of both SAP and Oracle. So if you've got either of those as ERP, your business carries on with that because they're buying and selling divisions all the time and companies. And then if you've got another ERP system, then you either migrate to Oracle or SAP. But because they're buying and sell, selling companies at such a rate, they've always got a transition of people that are migrating one way or the other way. So it's those huge conglomerates are, you know, kind of empires in their own right. Okay. Right. Oh, thank you for that tip. So next to, so what's number two tip for, for actually growing and doubling or tripling your, um, your B2B e-commerce business, please? Structured pricing. If you're going to get it to scale up, you've got to have a, a simple pricing structure that people can sign up to and, and trade with you. Because we've been doing it for 15 years, we've seen every form of pricing possible. So, the typical thing we see is an organization comes up at some point with these are our five prices, you know, mega customer, big customer, medium customer, et cetera, et cetera. And, or they may also have, you know, and this is our price list for this industry and price list for this industry. And, you know, so you have these price lists and then they go off and go up ah, against the price list. We'll also have a discount list. And then we'll have the sales guy go in and, provides the special of this week, this month, whatever it is to, to close the deal. And so we, we quite, there's two sides to it. One is it's helping customers get profitable growth. So we provide them with, if they want to, we can, they can put in their buy price and we can tell them all the items that they're selling at a loss as, which is, is an important thing. So you want to know if you're selling at a loss, why are you selling at a loss, which is, well, the customer said this, this is the lost leader that we're doing. And, and does, we that, to make- does that come up real time when they're setting their price? In on, on- yeah, we can provide them with a rule that doesn't allow them to sell at a loss you know, or that get somebody to approve them selling at a loss so that it doesn't just happen where somebody goes in and goes, oh, right, well, I'm going to give them the best price list and I'm going to give the best discount list. You clearly no. know if it's possible <laughs> or not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that structured pricing, you need to have your pricing right and it needs to change by market because there's, 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 there's different markets in the world and you need to be aware of how you're selling into the different bits and all the rest of it. So there's, you know, getting your pricing Get your pricing correct. right, number two. Yeah. Okay, what about number three? What's your thought? It's quality content and making sure it's up to date. So we've seen people that have just push the stuff straight out of SAP with 40 character uppercase pri- descriptions and wondered why it didn't sell. The uppercase. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. And, and then you've got the other bit is making sure that the systems are joined up. So the classic thing we see is the website not joined to the ERP. So you've got a website, you've got an SAP system, you order off the website, the invoice comes in at a different price. They've got to be integrated. And so we, we make sure that 
the content's right, the content's up to date, the pricing's right, the pricing's up to date. And then it's providing rich content. And that's where people often underinvest. They don't understand that a B2B site actually has to be, rather than being worse than the B2C site, it needs to be better. It needs to have, you know, if you're buying something like an Apple, we know what an Apple is. It's a Royal Gallup Apple. You know what it is. You don't need to give them a, a 50-page description on it. But if you're buying, I'll give you something that I remember. Do you know what a printer blanket is? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. If I told you they're about last, they vary, but somewhere in the thousands of pounds. Right. And, mm-hmm. and you buy them every few days. It's basically the thing that a newspaper print run goes on. And the thing about it is you might think printer blankets, just something you put over your desktop printer when it's, it's not being used, but it's actually an industrial printing consumable and it need you know, and it's got a whole load of specs and complexity that goes around it. And so, in that B two B space, there's lots of stuff where you actually need to get across the points as to why your printer blanket will last five times longer than the other guys, and why it's better value, although it's a higher price, and all that. That stuff is, is important to sell. Actually, that kind of leads me on to the next point, which is SEO and web marketing. So why would B2B businesses want to do SEO? They're actually, they can do really, really well on SEO because the competition is rubbish quite often. You know, if somebody's gone off and loaded 40 character uppercase into it, it's pretty easy to beat that in terms of SEO. And the content up to it date and the SEO are quite linked together. So we do things like content syndication where we will put on all your suppliers get them building e-commerce sites, get them managing the content, and, and you you then do the editorial control of them so that you can control something like 100,000 or 600,000 items and get that flowing up into your site and having high-quality content, and then you focus on the, on the top-selling items. The thing with SEO is that in a B2C environment, most common commodity items, you know, a monitor, yeah, there's hundreds of people competing in your area selling monitors. And so it's very difficult to distinguish yourselves on the SDA point of view. If you're going off and selling a billion different antibodies, well, frankly, the others have got a range of 20,000 antibodies. You've got 2 billion things that you can talk about and be globally unique. Exactly. You- there are not that many people actually selling antibodies in the first place. You know, so. mm. Yeah. And so having decent content for the bits where you're not competing with everybody, suddenly that's why I come back to the Go Global is we see people because they put the content online and nobody else is competing with it. Suddenly people come straight to them because they go, oh, I didn't know I could buy that. Connecting this point with the Glowing Global, do you not add an extra layer of complexity when it comes to multilingual, you know, going to new region, you know, when language is involved and having to retranslate your entire catalogue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the... I think so. So we're, we're just going through the, the hell of making sure that everybody's content works fine in traditional and simplified Chinese. But we are very lucky in the UK. English is a common business language. If you put the stuff up in English, most people will look for it in English, even if they happen to be in Hong Kong or India. You know, there's nine major languages spoken by hundreds of millions of people in, in India. But, you know, the common business language is India, English. Yeah. So you don't, as a first point, you don't need to translate all your stuff into all those different languages. The other thing we can do supporting you in the Go Global is you can put it all up in English, 
And for those other countries, you're going to need resellers and they can do the translation and we provide the platform for them to resell and put the translations in and and it automatically connects into them. So there's a load of stuff we can do to help that, that global process, but content up to date, attractive, accurate content will drive your SEO and the web marketing. I mean, we, we done all the, the straightforward bits of how to make SEO work. The biggest challenge in SEO is making sure you've got attractive content. And that's where you get into all that web marketing of social media and inbound feeds and all the rest of it that you're doing in a B2C environment because it's ultra competitive, the SEO, and you end up with trying to get lots more regularly refreshed content, which, you know, frankly, if you're selling a printer cartridge, is challenging because all the other guys are selling exactly the same printer cartridge. And so you, you're competing around about, it's very easy in that B2C environment to go over the edge and break the unwritten rules of SEO and get blacklisted because everybody's pushing the margins. Whereas in the B2B space, just making sure that your content's up to date, making sure it's attractive, et cetera, et cetera, can bring you a lot of business. Absolutely. I agree with you. I've worked with um, uh, B2B e-commerce clients and just content, unique content, gave them the competitive edge. And they cleaned up um, their... The, the legacy um, product descriptions of the suppliers, the manufacturers, you know, supplied um, product descriptions and they put, you know, really catchy, useful content thinking about the end users, you know, um, and, and, and they, they made strides. They did, you know, get a lot of their products to rank um, quite highly. And it's, it's the simple things like, you know, having a multi-tab layout for the products. So you've got a simple key because, you know, from a consumer point of view, you whack your keywords into Google, you come up with a site, you hit the first site, you understand it, you hit the next site. You know, there's an expectation that sites load quickly and they're easy to understand. And in the B2B space, you just got to do exactly the same thing, get the key points across in an easy to use way and then provide the extra value so that, you know, you can say that this product is five times better, but then you've got the technical details tab that explains why it's five times better and what it does different and what difference between, you know, this USB, what difference between USB 2 and USB 3 is and why you're, you know, and all that stuff helps with your keywords. Okay. So what's your, your fifth and final tip for growing um, B2B e-commerce? Well, it's winning deals. So you've got, if you've managed to do the sort of going global, getting your content up to date, your SEO web marketing, that's going to help you getting more deals because, the larger organizations are going to want to basically bid for business because they, if they're going to spend a lot of money with you, you know, they're going to put out a tender to say, we're going to you know, be buying five million pounds worth of X. And if you've got all your content right, et cetera, et cetera, you will get that tender because they will send it to you and they may well contact you before they write the tender so you can help write the tender. And And the most important thing in b2b tender is getting in early and having a good website helps get you in early then you go off into well what can your system do and you know we then support all the sort of things that that are going to help ensure you win the deal which is right okay they're on sap the system's already pre-integrated to sap has been doing this for 10 years okay that's a nice safe tick box because they're they'll be very worried because SAP can be difficult to integrate that you won't be able to integrate with their buying system. You know, can you send electronic invoices in their format? Yes, good. Okay. So 
sticking all those sort of boxes and then there's the actual business of supplying your product and we've got lots of people we've we work with over the years that can help you with writing tenders and all that sort of side of things business but, people like who oh all the suppliers in the uk government <laughs> there's thousands of them you know the ten thousand businesses we already work with we know what they've done what works for them and and it's it's how you package that up so no, that you've I, got I actually meant the you said to organizations to help you write the tenders as far as like um you know organizations like sorry right so one of the marketplaces we run is a system for small businesses so the ukplc.biz one that's a collaboration between ourselves and apsis and apsis is run by someone called david shields who is chief executive of government procurement service he did he ran the organization that did all the buying for the uk government and his team know what a winning bid looks like which is apsis okay yeah so they've because they've evaluated lots of them (laughs) right interesting okay thank you so much for for the b2b tips i'll just start to give uh, i'll go to the final round of questions really to round this um interview up which has been fantastic um, by the way so how does cloud buy actually generate revenue Right. I'm very pleased with some changes we've made, but where we started off from was we started off with selling e-commerce sites to suppliers. Then we went into selling buying systems to buyers, and now we do a bit of both. So we we basically, we provide buying systems for, for buyers, connect them through, and then either provide connectivity toolkits. So you know, if you've got Magenta, we've got a toolkit to connect you in or e-commerce sites, the suppliers. So we, we're taking a bit of out of all of that. And then the bit that's changing is we're starting to build more marketplaces of our own. And that's where, you know, you talked about Amazon supply. If you're selling on Amazon and you're a direct supplier to Amazon, you know, we provide systems to some of those guys and, and they're typically paying, I was just talking to one who pays 25%, which sounds okay. Then he pays 10% on top of that, plus another 5%. So it actually ends up as 40%. Right. Per transaction yeah. or? Transaction well, to Amazon. Okay. Yeah. And that's a direct supplier to Amazon. So you don't know who they are because, you know, as far as you're concerned, you're just buying it from Amazon. So that's one level. Then you've got the Amazon marketplace terms, whichever you can see, and it goes from sort of 7 to 25%, you pay as a supplier on there. And we're looking at, on that side of things, charging sort of 2 to 5%. So something like UKPLC.biz site, you know, we charge suppliers 2 to 5% to be on that. When you go off into B2B procurement, you're looking at sub 1%. So usually something around, say, half percent, point two percent, that sort of value. Because the average basket size, I presume, would be quite high for... Well, you know, if if you've gone off and left a contract for £20 million a year with the supplier, you're not going to, you know, pay an intermediary 10% or something. So there's not room for massive savings there. What we usually find is that when we take a world-class organisation, like, say, UK NHS... We identified two billion of savings for them. That's two percent of saving, and usually for that that sort of organisation, if we can find them a two percent saving, we'd actually charge the buyer something like 0.2%, so a tenth of the saving to run that through. So they're they're getting 
good thing in that the buyer is actually paying the fees so that there's no fee to suppliers. So there's, there's quite a lot of stuff where for large volume stuff, it's the buyer pays the fees. Okay, which is, uh, which is a good thing to actually, you know, um, yeah. support and, you know, notch a you know, supplier base. Yeah, so from our point of view, we're there to sort of act as a neutral intermediary and support both sides. So if we bring a, a supplier new business, we'll charge them 2 to 5% for business that they wouldn't have got otherwise. If it's an existing customer and, you know, it's a buyer that's basically engaging with us to do it, we normally wouldn't tra- charge the supplier. So it's quite quite sort of flexible that way. Could, could you give us an, an idea of um, the, the well, figures in terms of um, the number, the, the amount of transactions um, that passed through your system in 2014? <laughs> well, I, I, I told you this, the analysis figure of $250 billion dollars. I think we're somewhere like 20 million page views. We don't go into the actual volume of, of stuff going through the system normally. A ballpark Most, figure in, in the billions or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-figure billions or um, single-figure single figure billions? <laughs> multiple. <laughs> Sorry, I'm pushing. Okay, multiple. All right, yeah, okay, yeah. that's a yeah. different the, 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 the size of the B2B market, it, yeah. last time Visa surveyed, it was $109 trillion. Enormous. Right. Yes. Whatever we've got, it's very, very small compared with where it's going to end up because the, the entire world is, you know, B2B total volume globally is round about one to two trillion going through electronically. It's like one or two percent going through electronically. The rest are in 99% or 98, whatever is still not electronic. Okay. And you're looking to disrupt it and, you know, um, kind of, you know, get more electronic transactions with your Visa. Yeah, partnership with Visa is trying to get a good chunk of that 100 trillion uh, and it's all there to be played for. So the UK is probably the most developed economy in the world in terms of e-commerce. And we found something like one of the biggest industries in the UK is social care. And what we found in there was... 100% of the suppliers did not have e-commerce. So we're nice. For suppliers, well. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. None of the providers said e-commerce because you, you think about it, a care provider, you're going off and bringing someone in to provide home care. Not found any of them so far that had an e-commerce site where you could buy your home care online and pay for it. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Until we started building. I mean, we, we built over a thousand sites like that last year. So. Okay. So what's turnover like and um, gross profit like in 2014 for the business for Cloudby? Right. We just were on the aim. So and we We'd not yet published our results for 2014. I can tell you what it was for 2013. And it was 3 million up from 2.3 million. And the challenge we had uh, was that we changed our name from at UK PLC to Cloudby for a reason because we're going out from the UK. Yes. Yeah. And so our UK business model was something where we got no, we had no transaction charges whatsoever. So we had a flat fee where we charged, say, a bit of UK government, something like £30,000 a year to run the system. Uh, We then provided free e-commerce sites to all suppliers. And so we didn't make a lot of revenue. This summer, we signed 
our first marketplace customer in Australia, and that's worth roughly four and a half million pounds a year to us because there's a small transaction fee being paid by the buyer. And so it just completely changes the thing. You know, that customer, we'd have charged 30K on the old model. In, so interesting how small changes actually, you know, um, yield big results. <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So you could and, and, essentially more than double your business. Your business grow by five, well, 10, 10 30, times 30 in 2015. 30K to 4 million is... Um, over 10 times, 15... 100, over 100 times. Over 100 times, yes. So, yeah, and that's why I came back to Go Global. Mm, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> our, our experience is that it's, you know, we've got something like $150 million a year in the pipeline of stuff we signed up in the last year. So it's... Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting to rip the benefits really in 2015 and exactly, you know, perhaps yeah. 2014. Okay, interesting stuff. Okay, so I'm just going to round up with um, with a final set of questions. One is, which we've talked about, I was going to ask you about what your ambition um, cloud, um, cloud, cloud buys next phase of growth to be. You just mentioned that. So I'm going to move on to what is the one marketing channel your advice B2B e-commerce entrepreneurs to take really seriously? If it's just one a marketing channel to the, you could choose, what should they really focus on? Get your content right. Right. Okay. Content, product content, content on your yeah. website, speak to clients through content on your website. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. What about tools and um, books and resources you'd suggest, particularly B2B e-commerce um, businesses to reach? Are there any resources or books? Um, let's start out with resources. Um, are there any resources you, you check on a regular basis, um, like websites or or even podcasts um, for them to, to sort of consume on a regular basis, which you do? We work pretty closely with our sort of partners who are people like Visa, the member banks. I have to admit that personally, I'm not very good on resources, books and tools. What I'm usually doing is listening to our customers and saying, and finding out what's working for them, what we need to do to change and support them. So I'd say, listen to your customers and follow them. Listen to your customers and follow them. That's really good advice. Okay. Great. Final set of question, or my very last question is, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how will be the best way to get in touch with you? And um, <laughs> you're on social media or you're an email person? Well, you can reach me through LinkedIn. I, I have to admit, I don't go on to it very often. The best way is, is coming through the, the sort of cloud sell site if, if you're a supplier or the cloud buy site if you're if you're a buyer and I basically, I give my phone number and get lots of emails from customers. I like talking to customers. It's what helps our business do stuff. The result of this is that I get absolutely snow done under with emails. So my advice is very simple in terms of emailing me. If you CC me, me, it goes off into a, a separate bin. If you email me directly, I, I do, do get it. But you pick them uh, up. I, okay. But you'll go into a big collection, and so if it's urgent, you know, people text or phone me, or or get somebody to walk around and tell me about it. It's one of those sort of classic challenges of um, easy communication. Kind of sometimes makes it harder because you end up end up with so much stuff coming through. But um, key thing is is understanding what we need to make our customers more profitable. We've made a bunch of customers into millionaires and we'd like to make some more. Good stuff. Thank you so much for, for making it to the show, Ronaldo. I'm quite sure a lot of our listeners would, would have found a lot of what you said very useful and wish you the best of luck with, with CloudBuy in 2015. And thanks again. Cheers. It's, it's been a pleasure. Uh, there's 
there's a huge amount of stuff you can do to, to optimize both B2C and B2B. And we'd really just like helping customers be Good. successful. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 2X e-commerce podcast show. If you enjoyed listening to the show, please support us by leaving a review on iTunes to help improve the show's rankings. See you next time.